As an industry, we made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. There's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by John Johannes, Game Director at Tango Gameworks. So join us as we explore his journey. Of course, Dev Diary is funded by an amazing group of people at patreon.com slash devdiarypodcast. They help grow the show, make it bigger, make it more successful, and they've got early access to this episode. Consider checking it out yourself, and if you can't do that, perhaps consider throwing the show a five-star review or equivalent on your podcast service of choice. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the show. So today I'm joined by John. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How's the time in, in Australia slash Melbourne been so far? Uh, it's been a rainy two days. Um, today is the, you can't see this right now because this is audio podcast, but it is nice outside. Um, and so I'm looking <laughs> compared to the last two days, we're touring rain. True. So I'm looking forward to actually walking outside without getting wet. Um, yeah, I didn't experience any rain while I was driving over. So that, that's a start. Um, okay. And you've actually unfortunately just missed some picturesque stuff weather-wise for about the, the week prior to your arrival so well thanks pax how, for... how long is your stay <laughs> um my stay is about five or six days or something oh yeah, so, yeah uh, so. which is yeah. about when i think it all starts to come good again so it seems okay. like you've absolutely the drawn the short straw yeah, um as i've seen a few people speculating in this lead up to melbourne international games week in pax that the weather was going to turn and sure enough it did yeah, they don't like games here, I think, it seems. Apparently not. Or they recognize that games are very much an indoor thing, and so it won't matter. It's yes. dump rain because you'll yeah. all be inside anyway. Yeah. So this is Dev Diary Series. We talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led to this current point in time. And, John, your work in the industry has been fascinating, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to jump into that and discuss it with you shortly. But I'd love to rewind firstly to a point well before all of that and focus, I guess, on the consumption of games and where they came into your life in the first place. Do you recall what some of the first games or even specifically the first game was that you ever ever played? In this episode, I'm joined by Nadim Haddad, game designer at Pastor Games. um, So join us as we explore his journey. We weren't allowed to have games. Yep. Um, So I think my first exposure to games was more of like... uh, you know, elementary school or something coming home, like going home with a friend to a friend's house and they had a Nintendo yep. uh, entertainment system and um, trying out just games there. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And I would ask, oh, can we get one of this? And it was like, no, you know, and the only concession was made was I remember, um, I think when the Super Nintendo came out or not right when it came out, but later it's like, finally it was allowed to, they got that for me for Christmas, but it had to be at my grandmother's house. So when we went to visit, that was the only time I was able to play. So, so what was the rationale back in the day behind not really allowing him in the household? I don't know. Sure. I should probably ask again, but it's probably, yeah, you need, it's a, you know, you need to concentrate on school. Don't watch too, too much TV. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's not an educational type thing. Yeah. Definitely understood. probably that. So. Not an unfamiliar story, I guess, course, but, uh, yes. but yeah. one, that, one that you lived in. So I guess when you did get these opportunities, whether it was to go play the Super Nintendo, as you just discussed, or via friends getting to play other consoles or handhelds along the way, um, were there any experiences that really stuck with you? I I just think I like I really just get enjoyed getting kind of like 
pulled into like a world essentially i don't know if it was that sort of i know people it was like wax poetically about for example like playing legend of zelda and getting like the mystery and exploring yeah. something like that i really didn't have that i kind of just played whatever friends had so obviously it was like you know your standard stuff like mario brothers and things like that and just the kind of the enjoyment that you can have from just being in control of it as opposed to the passive uh, experience yeah yeah passive experience uh, something else something like that. um yeah and then slowly obviously games were getting more complex i do remember um with the super nintendo like uh i do remember specifically like i never played metroid but I, super metroid was like, very hyped up in the states when it was about to come out I should not pull this water bottle because <laughs> um and uh and I remember playing that game, and I do remember that being the first game where, because it's like, it's the, you know, Metroid is the we now call it Metroidvania, but it's Metroid was that, that was the game. Core, but yeah. And uh, you can kind of get off the correct path, and you'd go in like a, an area where you kind of weren't supposed to be. And I remember like that feeling of just like I went in a wrong direction, wrong direction is quite weird, a yeah. yeah, but. I was like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. And like the enemies are too strong. And I was just like, oh my God, what have I got myself into? And it was almost like this realistic feeling of like, I am, I'm lost on this planet. And that's, I seem to remember like the first time I felt like kind of like almost like emotional response to a game. Um, and that's something like a couple of times, but it doesn't happen for everything. Yeah. But yeah, I do remember that being like a, a really cool moment that I still kind of feel. And sometimes you, you experience that in newer games where you get that feeling of like, oh, I'm, I'm in some place I'm not supposed to be, you know, and that's always like a, just a funny, interesting feeling. To have. Look, I certainly recall my first experiences with kind of Metroid days and feeling absolutely like similar to what you were saying, there's kind of the wrong path. I genuinely felt like I was playing the game wrong and, and would yeah. give up until I realized that no, actually the design is such that you can go in these multiple different directions and sure, it may be the wrong path, but it helps guide you towards the right one. And, it took a little, little while for young Paul to finally get his head around that yeah. idea back in the day, but but then became so much more rewarding when once I actually got my head around that idea and what those what those entailed. Of course, um, and I don't know how old you are, but um, how old are you? Are you uh, it's, it's, it's private information. Th no, no, uh, 34, 35. Nick, okay, so I'm 37, but um, so it's interesting because I go back and look at those games that I played, really like Super Metroid or like the RPGs like Chrono Trigger or like Earthbound or something like that. And looking back, I didn't understand how to play video games. Like, yeah, right. Um, so I was looking, I remember it was one time where I loaded, I actually found my old Chrono Trigger, like Super Nintendo part, and I loaded it up. And all I did, everyone was still using the starter equipment, and oh, really? I was level 99. And I was like, oh, I just thought you'd level up. I didn't understand the concept of like the buying. Buying and selling and the new gear. Yeah, so I didn't, all those like core mechanics, it's like, you could still beat the game theoretically oh, sure. with that. But um. You make uh, it hard for yourself. Oh, yeah. But... I was like, wow, it's the most hardest game ever. It's like, yeah, I, I was playing like some crazy challenge mode, essentially. But um, you were kind of, it, it was a weird feeling of like games are, they have all these systems. And then you also have to make a game it for people who will not use all these systems as yeah. well. So I'm interested. Which um, I guess as you started to make these discoveries, were, were there any moments like that or other games along the way that perhaps guided you towards the path of developing games yourself? Um, and I guess also along the way, like when did some of these uh, home restrictions on games kind of maybe ease up a little bit? And when did did you really get a chance to really explode in terms of your exposure with, with games and various libraries that different platforms all had? 
and did any of those yeah guide you towards actually pursuing game development yourself yeah so um to jump to the easy answer to one of these questions um i never planned on going into game design so none of these none of this this game experience that i've had influenced my decision to pursue a job in games outside of the initial sending my resume to a company because i had history playing games yeah but um the initial sort of like okay i'm really into games now and this sounds incredibly morbid but like i said um uh, super nintendo was only allowed at my grandmother's house my grandmother died and therefore, the Super Nintendo had to go somewhere, so it came back to the house. <laughs> and therefore, I was able to then play games, which I think we were able to realize, okay, if it's in controlled environment, we can continue playing games. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I was really into it uh, going through middle school, high school, um, kind of got out of it when I was in college. Like, I almost missed, like, this whole PS2, late PS2 era stuff okay. because I just didn't, didn't have a TV in my dorm or anything. I think maybe I'd, I brought my Game Boy advance with me i think that was it and that's what i would play but um i kind of got out of it and even when i moved to japan after graduating i still wasn't super into games i feel like i missed this entire generation the only thing that made me kind of come back in was i remember buying a playstation 3 at that point um and uh at their peak in price or as things had started to cool down a little bit no, I, I, certainly out here when those when that console first launched, it was a thousand dollars. Yeah, I don't think I absurd. bought it when I think the slim version came. Yeah, out. okay. No, I, I do remember because it was when Final Fantasy thirteen oh, yeah. was finally coming out. I was like, well, if I was playing those games. It. Yeah, might as well just jump in and um, and so that was kind of like me getting reintroduced, and it was also you get to see all this missed content you saw. It was like yeah. building up, and it was, you got to get exposed <laughs> to that. And so that's where I kind of finally started playing games again. And maybe that's why when I eventually decided to go into pursue a job at a game company, not specifically making games per se, but to be involved somehow, I was like, okay, games are really kind of this really, they're doing lots of cool stuff with this stuff. It was also a time where uh, Japanese games were kind of being a little bit like beat up in the Western media as being kind of like, they less than in some way yeah less yeah. than western games and they're like behind the times and they're also trying to like catch up but in a weird way and they're trying to do things that they weren't good at but trying to like appeal to western audience and i was that was kind of my way that i w- was interested in getting involved in games it's like i love the games that you guys used to make but now you're you seem like you're like overcorrecting type field yeah so I, i'd love to help like whatever you're working on making it for an audience but not you know messing up your vision for what this this game is supposed to be now obviously you touched on the fact that it wasn't necessarily the intended goal in the first place and so as i was doing my little bit of research beforehand I, like i noted that you were an assistant language teacher for a period there as well um was that part of the thinking at any stage in terms in terms of that teaching aspect or i guess what was the intended pathway before really realizing that okay maybe maybe games is it for me no i it's Teaching also wasn't on my theoretical career path either because um, I had studied Japanese. I studied abroad in Kyoto for a year, and I was very into language. And at that point, and getting into translating books, I was yeah. like interested in like Japanese literature. I wanted to go to graduate school to theoretically be a professional translator. Looking yeah. back, I don't think that was even now like a legitimate career that you could even do well besides a select group of people, or maybe going into you know, maybe professional like teaching, maybe, but 
I knew that the me sort of being an English teacher in Japan wasn't it wasn't like a an actual like career destination it was more like a pit stop of me still trying to figure out what I'm trying to do but also giving me a chance to double down on my studies on learning the language get more practice on sort of like understanding the cultural things for theoretical like you know if I'm going to translate things I want to know more about what they're relating to and, and understand the context of things like that and but I would do a lot of this sort of breaking down stuff I would like you know what's what's the word it's like if you would um you know if you if it was a book, it's like, and you're translating something, you really need to understand every piece of it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. or if it's like a movie, you need to de- uh, deconstruct it. Right? Yeah. So I was super big into that, just in general. Uh, watching movies, I've watched director's commentary, like understand like the thoughts behind everything. And so when I was always, when I finally was, you know, shifted into joining a gaming company and learning how to make games when I didn't have any professional education in it, I started focusing on that. I was like deconstructing these games that yeah, I was playing. I was like, how are these working? Like, why is this working? Like, why is the system working like this? Or why did that scene feel terrible? Or, you know, things like that. And even now, I'm like, I still love, I kind of like, like doing that. Even, like, why Why is this game not fun to play? Like, why am I not enjoying that? Um, I like actually playing games that, you know, were theoretically not great or yep. you're not perfect um and understanding why they're not perfect rather than playing these like extremely highly regarded games that are well, like flawless there's, as well there's that old adage about you know the things you learn from your failures and those sorts of things yeah. and of course even as as someone out from the outside looking in there's there's so much can be learned from why didn't this game work or why didn't this film work or what you know whatever it happens to be yeah there's a lot more you can learn from that that sometimes than the success stories yes and it's interesting now because i know that there's I think it's it's tough because I know that the gaming community is very particular and and vocal about games and their quality and they're focusing on scores and things like that. Yeah. But the the general quality of games in general that come out in this period is so incredibly high that it's like a game that doesn't score as high. It's it's still in like an like a miracle in general that this thing exists and is is incredibly well done. It's just, you know, missing a few tweaks or something that's some some minor thing that's not clicking with an audience that's affecting its perception. And so it's really interesting to me of like looking into things like that. Like why do certain things not click and why do some things do click? And and a lot of times it's not even about the game. It's just about like uh, you know, marketing tactics or yeah, or um prestige, you know, uh yeah the names behind it or yeah as you said the marketing there's there's so many other aspects that are actually sometimes completely divorced from the actual product or title itself like a good can have an enormous yeah yeah. like a good example is um and i i seldom played it so i don't know but like uh i know like from software just released armor core 6 right so i always think that is a fantastic example of like that is an incredibly you would normally say like niche game a long-running series that had a very small player base that was focused on a, a incredibly detailed customization of mechs, um, which wasn't made for a wide audience. But because of now the success of the different games, yeah. you get a lot of new people jumping in and accepting the game for what it is and, and finding the the quality in it, despite the um, the perceived difficulties that it used to ha- always have. They're able to almost like overlook it. And granted, as developers, they've 
evolved and you know figured out ways to onboard people better and make it easier to digest but um probably i think it's real realistically you got to a point where instead of being overtly negative about something they're approaching it and actually in a positive angle from the beginning just because of the the the, the developer behind it which is really interesting um and it's and you almost wish like i wish they would give that chance to any developer right yeah you know you don't have to make you know eight successful games for a game to be appreciated it's like games should be taken on their own merit um but you know that's not how the world works right of course yeah people you know pick their sides or they gravitate to names that they know or whatever the case happens to be and sometimes the pure quality of component can sometimes be overawed by every other aspect which is which is a shame sometimes and you know some fantastic things and regardless of whether it's games it can be any form of media it can sometimes just get buried entirely which is yeah absolutely which, yeah. Is, which is a real shame um and we're you know, unfortunately hearing about stories of that over the course of this year too so um i guess focusing on i guess you being able to um deconstruct whether it's games or other form of media as as you moved into to tango and you you got to work with obviously uh the likes of um even within, even within two, and then eventually onto Hi-Fi Rush as well. Um, bringing that approach that we've discussed, how did you try to apply that in? Because as you said, you didn't have any necessary formal educational training in specific kind of disciplines within within game development at that stage. So how did you, I guess, carve out your space and work within within the team there to apply those skills that you had and developed? And obviously, it's a constant art of developing it as well. But how did you kind of carve out your space initially? How did sure. that opportunity emerge also in the first place, considering you didn't necessarily have the, the skill set developed at that stage? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, just applying to the job in general, it was a very, not in a sense, non-interesting thing where I just applied online. I sent a resume with a cover letter, which you actually don't really do in Japan. Yep. Japan. You apply for, you just send your resume and you apply for position and then they interview. But I was, I was just kind of talking about, you know, the games, you know, uh, at that point, becomes on his new studio. The games that he had worked on, I enjoyed, I was, you know, so I was, you know, talking about that. Um, but then when I joined the studio, it's interesting to see it from the, the actual game designer perspective, how ideas are sort of formulated. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's work with that. You work with that. It doesn't turn out into anything. You kind of like throw it away, start again. Um, and you're always kind of like iterating. That process of iteration was something that I maybe like wasn't too familiar with. But I think like... At that point, I was thinking of like editing, right? It's like you'd write something and you'd edit it into something better, but iterating can be like literally taking something and changing it to something else. So yeah. you're not basing it off anything. And um, so I was learning from watching these developers with great experience. And then, but I was also kind of take doing something new myself. So I was kind of taking stuff in, but I was I was always knew that you know, there's, I've learned very early that there's no like correct way to do to make a game. Yeah. So you're going to try something. If it doesn't work, you got to think around, think of another angle to it. Um, but you do have to have this sort of vision behind what you want to do. Otherwise you just, it's like writing what they say. It's like, if you read an essay, you don't just start writing the first sentence and write out. You, there's there's you, a draft, there's a structure. Yeah. That you, you follow an outline, guides you yeah. towards a, towards an outcome. Yeah. So you have to have that sort of goal of what you're trying to achieve. And it, I know it sounds very basic, but it's 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 funny to see how many people get caught up on that, where they just start making something and they don't even know what they're making towards. Well, and, that's where you start hearing stories about feature creep and all those sorts of things, yeah. where you perhaps didn't have that established direction in the first place, and so you go around in circles or you start adding things that feel good at the time, but maybe it's kind of rooted in an, an impulsive approach that perhaps isn't actually serving the the game, film, whatever. 
in the best possible way. Absolutely. Yeah, because especially because games take so long to make, especially now, you can work on something for so long, you're already thinking of the next idea before you even actually implemented the first idea. So you're not even really thinking things through. Um, and this is a process that I'm working on all the evil within games, like you think it's a very obvious thing that you can immediately figure out and, and work on. But it wasn't actually until we started developing Hi-Fi Rush that we I learned that like, okay, we really need to have these sort of goals set in mind of where we're working yep. towards and make it concrete and then have a vision and don't, and make sure that it, you're solidified in that vision and don't sort of waver unless there's a compelling reason to change it. Um, yeah, of course. Because I saw it a lot of times happen, even in myself and other people, where they're they're very quick to change at the slightest moment of you're having a problem. And I was like, no, we're having a problem, but it doesn't mean we have to change the final goal. You just have to think about how our approach. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what directing is in general. It's essentially just like nonstop problem solving because you have your goal. You're just figuring out it's not working. What do we have to do to get it to work to our goal anyway? Um, But that was something that I was lucky enough to work for example, in the first Evil Within, we're given stages to work on that we were in charge of in all aspects. So, which is a little bit different than I think most game development, because you kind of think of, uh, you're getting charge of a feature or you get in charge of levels, but you're not the level designer. You're just sort of doing the layout yeah. for um, the first project we were- One piece for larger puzzles. Yeah, but we at least, you had to have the whole concept behind this small, even if it was like an hour of gameplay, it's like, there's a beginning, there's an end, then you're transitioning to this person's level and you're coming in from this person's level, you have a start and, um, and, and then your, your experience is self-contained and that's up to you to figure out, um, the gameplay mechanics that are introduced there, how they work, what's unique about your level, then interface with all the different sections. And that was a great experience as a first time game designer to see every aspect of game design, um, as opposed to nowadays like i said if you're in charge of just one system you're really sort of pigeonholed into understanding only one aspect of of game development and sometimes you kind of don't understand why something can't be implemented why something can't be done um and that's not to say that uh that information is hidden it's just that you just generally kind of your you know your field of vision is is a little bit limited uh, yes. unless you unless you search it out or specifically want to know about it and so I guess for you on a, on a personal level, as you spent more time with the studio and, and uh, I guess you had greater and greater responsibility, I guess, what was that like for you just on a purely personal level as you got to, I guess, stretch your legs in different ways and, and I guess, take these self-contained experiences prior and build them into that larger directorial sort of role? Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of them. It's not one of the most. It is the most challenging thing I've probably ever had to do in my life um you have to you know take going from something of like um working on this like one level or something to working on a broad big piece with multiple interconnecting sections and and a large team of people um is just an incredibly challenging endeavor so that's why i i say like any game that comes out at all is like just a miracle a, a miracle just just appreciate that it exists whether or not it's good or bad for it to be good is like a miracle on top of a miracle for it to be some amazing game is like it's exponentially difficult yeah. um and uh but one of the things that helped a lot specifically as as my career went was you think about um to 
to make something of this scale with this much people, you need a very a certain amount of trust between the the uh, the other developers yeah. and the people we're working with. But the only way you can kind of get that trust is normally with a, a result. So you make something, you you push for a vision that maybe they don't disagree with. They finally see that original vision that you had as an ideal is is becomes a reality and it's good and oh everything that you you did worked. So therefore, I trust you. And we talk about this a lot because back in you know the Super Nintendo days, for example, they would make games in a year, less oh, than no, a the year. Turnaround's unbelievable. Yeah. And by today's standards, yeah. And and I remember you coming on telling me it's like yeah, you need about like five games until the team really trusts you. And I was like. Nowadays, five games is like 20 years. That can be a career. So, yeah. it's, so it's very difficult. And But I think I was lucky enough to work on with the team for Evil Thin 1. We, we treated the additional story contents that I worked and directed on as like individual projects. So we can see those short time, but like vision fulfilled, vision fulfilled. Evil Thin 2 is much more difficult for me because it was the first time I was doing such such a large scale, yeah. the full team. Um, but we did manage to hit this sort of like, not maybe not perfectly because, you know, it's my first endeavor and I don't think, you know, there's always something that can be improved, but a lot of learnings from that, but we were able to kind of hit these goals that we want to hit. And then I think that culminated in um, Hi-Fi Rush where we were able to take all the learnings that we learned and the trust built to make something that was um, like a full execution of a complete vision even if it was challenging and unique and so i guess like the studio big picture you know, it's quite a contrast between what we've seen with say the evil within and the evil within two to then what we see more recently with say ghostwire and then obviously with your work in hi-fi hi rush so how did we get to that point from the evil withins to then suddenly something that is uh, contrast so significantly with with those titles in something like a hi-fi rush yeah so obviously the evil within is not like my brainchild it was you know, some comics like comics, yeah. pitching the original idea. If I'm going to make a sequel to that, it has to be a continuation of that. You can only do so much with that. Um, and I always was in interested in, you know, what if I had the opportunity to basically do whatever you want? Obviously, that's yeah. a dream sort of scenario. And uh, but I was lucky enough to pitch this idea, and it was unique enough that says, okay, it's you have an idea of what you want to do, you have a take on, on how you think it be executed. You should try to do it and just do it in the way that you want to do. Um, and so for me, it was, it was good opportunity to really then now think about everything, not just think about how to retrofit your, the ideas that you have into some existing IP or something. It's a challenge of making something, um, that you were personally invested in that you thought was interesting to begin with. Um, but also it was something that from our studio perspective, we always didn't want to just make horror games, we wanted to yeah. try something new, fun games. It's just, it's just good games that are fun to play. Um, and that can be a horror game, but it also can be something different. And we do know that, you know, that some of the team members liked action games. I love action games. I love music games. And it's like, let's, if we're going to try something different, let's try something really different. Let's not just make this like slight shift. Hard so deviation. Like really go, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I guess a hard, hard turn, which is which is fantastic. And it's been obviously received incredibly well. I've had a great time with the game myself and obviously millions of other people have as the data gradually comes out from, from time to time as well. It's been fantastic to see yeah. as an outside observer. And I'm sure it's been really rewarding for you and the team as well as as that data comes in and as the player numbers come out, et cetera. Yeah, we're always uh, flattered and impressed by, um, or humbled is what is the word, uh, yeah. you know, for like, 
it's something that we're <laughs> very passionate about, but also very proud of um, and a little bit worried of whether they would accept it in the way that we enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, but to see the reception and seeing people enjoy it just as much as we were um, is, you know, just such an amazing experience. Um, and so I guess a, a big component of the development, of course, would have also been the development within the pandemic as well. So what was what was that like, I guess, building up your like this this vision that you've had and working with a team, but the team being scattered in so many different ways as well? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty terrible experience, to be honest. It was, <laughs> but luckily, um, we had worked on the game for about two. Well, it's a, yeah, about two like full years in making actual assets and, and, and making the game when we had to go, you know, to this remote thing. And that was a challenge as a challenge for everybody doing that. Um, I would say a little bit more challenging for the type of game we were making because yeah. you're thinking, okay, things synchronized to the music we're doing a lot of, cause the team isn't not every team is a musician. So a lot of the development was us actually like for me physically acting out like to the beat, like clapping my hands, it's like, like this, you know, and, and kind of doing motions and expressing stuff Which like that. Which could be hard enough as is, let alone doing that remotely. Yeah. Me. And checking something with like lag on a video conference call was just like absolutely nightmarish. But I think the reason that we were at least able to execute on, <laughs> on the vision through that, even though it was incredibly, incredibly difficult and required so much more like meetings and 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 um, probably took much more time than uh, it should have in certain aspects, was because we at least had that initial startup where we knew what we were making. Yeah. Um, and I was thankful for at least that we had that because I think if we were entering that sort of remote work work life without having any idea of what we were doing um, and still figuring it out, it would have been harder again. I would actually say it would be possible. Yeah, right. <laughs> So um, um, yeah, through games that have done that and have successfully executed on that, I'm in awe, basically. So obviously the development there, you know, presents its own anxieties, I'm sure, around around that. But then I guess there's also the the announcement and then such a short turnaround to launch too. So I guess does that did that trigger a little bit of anxiety around that period as well? Because I guess you don't have that lead up to maybe even get a bit of a vibe from what people are saying and thinking and hearing externally. Yeah, it's all very sudden. So what was that like? That was incredibly uh, anxiety inducing um, from a developer standpoint. Yeah. Um, now, luckily, it was it was wasn't as bad in the sense of well, we didn't have um, that sort of public facing response to the game that we were making. Um, we knew we were had people played internally. Internally, they were extremely excited about it. They were they they loved it. Um, it was just something that every time we were delivering a new build, we were just getting incredible positive reaction to everything we were making. So we knew that we had something um, special on our hands. Like when you make a game, you kind of get sick of it as you're making it a little bit. So especially at the end when you're just kind of like, all right, we had another play there. Pushing oh to a God, finish yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that one, it was, we, you kept, that. we kept going through it and we're just like, this is just really fun to play it's like sometimes you just see people playing it was like what are you checking it's like no i'm not checking anything it was just enjoying just playing that's pretty cool it was just a weird feeling because we're not used to that when you're playing like a horror game it's like you know it's stressful you know you're not playing it for enjoyment per se you should check something but um it was just fun to play and so we're going in it knowing with us that we were in a very good place in terms of what the game was. Um, obviously, there was concern about or worry about the perception that it may have. Yeah, it's something totally different. Um, will people think that oh, they only made horror games? They, this is this a is weird idea. Good, yeah. it's not, they're not going to execute it well. Um, even though we we 
we knew that when people got their hands on it, they would like it. Um, and so, uh, you know, eventually when the, when the plan got whittled down from let's, let's do a short launch. So there's less chance of being misinterpreted to going to the shadow job. Um, it was really weird for us as developers because you're used to seeing that putting the game out there, people know what you're talking about. And it's, it's so it had to be kept a super secret. So you couldn't even tell anyone working on it, even though there are a lot of people involved with it. So I'm surprised yeah. that like, you know, everyone's very professional not talking about Kept it. Kept on the lock and key. Yeah. And, uh, and, um, but we're always thinking as developers, you, you're freaking out about, you spend so much time in it. You're thinking about how can it go wrong? Yeah. Um, and probably marketing is the other way where they're thinking about this is always going to go right. And it can go incredibly well. And we're like, yeah, but what if it goes wrong? And you're always saying, and, but I, and I can understand both sides. Yeah. Especially, it makes a lot of yeah. sense. And, uh, you know, looking back it, you know, I always say this, that it went as bad, as good as it could have gone because, um, all our fears we were like afraid like something else could be announced that day or something oh, could yeah, happen we'll see, or, what else yeah, yeah it could leak and or something or, or i don't know anything could happen and we're putting all our eggs in one basket essentially and uh but none of those things did happen and it came out and it was very war it was extremely warmly received as we you know the the positive reception we were seeing play, people play it through the for the first time and people were kind of saying the things that we were saying during development we want the players to say things like this good you know and so it was and that's continued obviously well after launch day which has been awesome yeah we're just we're we're always excited to see people kind of you know even that's i guess the good thing about game pass and things like that about people kind of tell me about this in a way too, it's like what we did but maybe just to notice about but um but yeah i, I it's always nice to see people find it. And again, still, it's not like a honeymoon phase thing. They only played when it came out and then people realized, oh, it's incredibly flawed experience or yeah. something like that. Um, to see people still jump on it and still have that same feeling. Um, you know, it's the team is very proud of what they did. They're they're They love how the community responded to it. And um, we just always just hope more people can just continue to play it because we think it's, a, it's, it's one of the best things we've done. So. And hopefully that continues going forward. And so it's at this point in the show that I want to make sure that I shout out all of the amazing patrons at the show shout out tier on patreon.com slash dev diary podcast. Those people are supporting at the top tier in the show, gets them this shout out, and I'm eternally thankful because you are helping fuel the fire that is dev diary now and into the future. And so with this newest episode, I want to shout out Scott Makes Games and my mum, Julie James, thank you very much for supporting this show, and let's get back to it. Now we're we're running pretty low on time, so a couple of little rapid fire ones just to wrap things up. Sure. Is there anyone that you've worked with or look at from afar, and you do obviously have some amazing people you get to work with um, specifically as well that really inspires you in the way you go about your work? No, nope, that, oh, that's no, no, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, there's. I think there's lots of. Um, uh, it's almost like people outside of maybe game that inspire me yeah, of like uh, movie directors and musicians and things like that um i love uh just um creators who have like a very strong sense of professionalism uh, yeah. like my favorite director by far is uh david fincher who's notorious for example like his takes like getting the perfect take and like i completely understand that like there's something about like if you're going to do it, do it right. I'm not going to like, and that it needs to be exactly how, how he yeah, wants so it to be. Um, and then, you know, we got the chance to work with um, Trent Reznor and the Nine Inch Nails team on the soundtrack. And 
I always admired them from just a almost like a technical and artistic perspective because they make incredibly high quality things and they're very very professional about that and the, the funny thing is like when we were making our games we get like the audio stems the, the way they packaged the data and the way that it slotted into like the pro to set the pro tool session it was like it was the most professional thing possible and you know that they didn't do it for us it's like it was probably when they deliver something it's like it has to be perfect i mean you can even look at their logo and it's like their logo is like basically it's a perfect sauce. logo. Yeah. It's like it's, everything is immaculately designed. And um, I I love that sort of commitment to quality uh, to uh, from certain um, creators. Um, there are definitely some in the game industry as well, but it's oh, but the the thing that's so tough looking to, abroad is always really important too. Yeah, um, but the thing about games is that it's so much of a team effort that you I don't think. Anytime developers or people should look at a game as being made by one person. There could be a vision there, but the execution is done by hundreds of people. And I guess to that point, a couple of fun ones now as we wrap things up. If you could be credited for any game in any capacity, so we just touched on it, you know, it's not one person, it's hundreds sometimes. If you could be one of those hundreds, was there a game you just wish you could have been a part of? Oh my God. Oh my God. I feel like I always bring up Portal 2 as no, an example awesome of like they that was like the best sequel i've ever played no, that's, that's um, and, totally and people always like portal one but like i think they executed they took something that was like a smaller experience and turned into like this great blew it up and blew, retained the magic at the yeah, same time because i loved it um conversely if there's a game that you could strike from your memory and get to play it all over again it would also be portal, two, portal because, because, because the same reasons because it's a puzzle game and because i go into the rooms now and i know the answer and so yeah, i so can't can never really I have that yeah i can't be like this that ah okay get it now i think so um, that was, yeah, that it's, it always comes back to Portal 2, I guess. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and share this journey so far and to learn about how we got to this point. I'm sure the listeners themselves have really, really enjoyed it as well. Uh, if people do want to, I guess, keep tabs on what you're up to, what the team's up to more broadly, where should people go? Uh website social oh my website okay oh sorry i was like, yeah, I was to, like, to kind of I was like my address is oh yeah of course they can rock up on your doorstep <laughs> whenever you like uh, uh, no um yeah so uh we have our our website is i think it's tangogameworks.com or or .co.jp i'm i have to write over this uh you can you find me both now so yes. I'll, I'll edit one out perfectly yeah maybe. um you can find myself on twitter at, at my name just john johannes as john johannes um and but we also have our uh studio twitters and um which i think it just Oh God, I, I I don't know because we used I'll, that. I'll throw it in yeah, there for you. Tango yeah. game works. Let's go. Blah 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 blah, and just replace this. Okay, and um and yeah. Hey, I can do I your voice yeah. now, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we'll just, make sure it's all in the show notes. Yeah. We'll access as well. So I'm going to do a great impression of you right now as I say my things in this Australian accent. So here I go. And that's me. He says we wrap things up. Thank you so much for coming on the show and and sharing this journey so far. It's been it's been fantastic to pick your brain and learn more about it. Um, thank you so much. Yes, I love I love talking about game development. So, and listeners, as always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.
That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to in an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been John's story. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.